Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Eurotrip. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to what is episode two of The Contest and Me from us here at the Eurotrip. Hope you enjoyed episode number one. And as if you needed reminding, my name's Rob, and I'm joined by Mr. James Rowe. Indeed you are. Hello. It's great to be back again. I said on last week's episode that I forgot how much I enjoyed bringing you this series of The Contest and Me. So it's great to be back with a brand new episode. Of course, last week it was all about Steve Holden. This week it's all about another voice that I'm sure you're going to recognise because she's been on the Eurotrip a few times before. It is entertainment journalist, former deputy entertainment editor at the Metro. It's Emma Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. We are heading to Ireland, kind of, for this chat. Anyway, there's a lot of Irish Eurovision conversation coming your way over the next little while because Emma grew up in Ireland during the glory years of Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest. So there's a little bit of that in the conversation that is to come on this episode, but plenty more in between. So it is brilliant to have Emma on the episode this week and for Emma to sit down and have a long form conversation with you James about her love of Eurovision. Yeah I feel like this is one of those episodes that's going to get even more listens than it usually does because those Irish cousins on Twitter are going to be all over it. Uh, But Emma is absolutely great. She's one of those journalists who's been to the Eurovision Song Contest, she's been in the press room so she knows all about the goings on, about what goes on behind the scenes at the Eurovision Song Contest. And also, there's a great anecdote as well. Keep your ears peeled for this one about the time she met a former winner of the Eurovision Song Contest. That is not to be missed. If you indeed can keep your ears peeled. How do you keep (laughs) your ears peeled? Better get practising. You better get (laughs) practising. Well, we've got a, got a little while until we hear that anecdote. So, yeah, you've got a little little bit of time to practice peeling your ears. Anyway, whatever that means, <laughs> you're listening to the Eurotrips, the contest of me. That's right. This is the contest and me from us here at the Eurotrip. A big, big thanks to everyone who tuned in and listened to us last week and 
got in touch with your holiday snaps because we presume there's a lot of you who are listening while you're on holiday. I say we presume, we don't actually know because we were recording this episode about five minutes after we recorded last week's episode for a very good reason, Rob. Yes, future me, at the time that you're listening to this, present me, is on my holiday. I'm in Canada at the moment, although not at the moment. At the moment, I'm at home and I haven't been to Canada yet, which is why we're recording this episode at the moment, but I will soon be in Canada. Does that make sense? But you were also on holiday on last week's episode with Steve as well. So you've actually been on holiday for what seems like two years now, but for us actually just feels like nothing at all because you, you haven't actually gone yet. Yeah, well, the magic of podcasts mean that, you know, we can get our business done early. So I've not gone anywhere for listeners of the contest and me. And rest assured, I'll be back again next week as well. But like I've never been away. (laughs) So hopefully by this point, we will have seen some of your holiday snaps of you listening while you're on holiday. And also, Rob, I'm going to put this out as an open invitation that I want to see a picture of you in Canada listening to the podcast. Okay, I'll do what I can. I'll see if I can put some headphones on a bear or something. (laughs) I probably won't do that. I don't think we can recommend that, everybody listening. I think if you try and put headphones on a bear, it'll probably go less well. I really want to see a bear this time, by the way. So I have been to Canada once before, um, but saw no bears, which was upsetting. I saw a moose, but I didn't see a bear. So I'm hoping that this time, maybe by the time that you're listening to this, I'll have already seen the bear. Wow. Okay. And if you have seen the bear, you'll have to keep the photo held back and then post it once people have listened. Otherwise, the whole timeline will have, will be out of the picture. <laughs> Things will have gone wrong. People will be what's going, that, oh, what's uh, that picture of the bear? What's going on? I thought the Rob bear? was in the UK. Oh, it's like the multiverse of madness, isn't it? <laughs> people understand that reference. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I'm having, have had, am having a nice holiday at the time that you're listening to this. And hopefully you have had or will have or are having a nice holiday yourselves. Or you are just at home like I am because I'm not going on holiday because I didn't get an invitation to Canada. But never mind. What what I do want to say, though, is a big thanks to you for hopefully getting in touch with us with all your thoughts about Rob's wonderful, wonderful conversation with Steve Holden last week. And as we always do, we invite you to get in touch with your thoughts about this week's episode as well. You can get in touch with us at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Eurotrip. So let's bring on the next conversation then on this series of The Contest and Me. So last week, of course, was formerly BBC Radio 1's music reporter, now the host of the official Eurovision podcast, Steve Holden, a very familiar voice here on the Eurotrip. And this week, James, we've already given her a little trail. It is the entertainment journalist, Emma Kelly, all the way from Dublin. All the way from Dublin. It's it's far for you in Canada, but for for most of us in the UK, maybe not as far. But yeah, great to have Emma back on the podcast. She's been on a few times before during Eurovision week, uh, a couple of times before that as well. Uh, She's a great journalist. You'll probably recognise her from Twitter as well. She's one of those that will live tweet when there's a big event on so when Eurovision is on there's a likelihood you'll have seen some of her great tweets as well and she was in Turin too she has attended the Eurovision Song Contest she's been a fan for a very long time which you will hear about in our conversation and there's just so many gems in this chat just like there was with Steve that you'll probably resonate with because we're all Eurovision fans both me and Rob I know you are listening and it's just great to hear 
when somebody else talks about their love for the Eurovision Song Contest, isn't it? It definitely is. I don't like to, well, actually, that's a lie. I do like to, as you know, bring this podcast back to food wherever possible. (laughs) And quite early on in, James, your chat with Emma, uh, she mentions her, of course, first memory of the Eurovision Song Contest, which is one of the first questions we ask the guests here on the contest and me. And her first memory is linked to a certain food that I have never tried but have always been intrigued by. Me too. I've never had one either and I thought you were about to say you have had one. So I'm glad we're in the same boat on this one. But you'll have to keep your eyes... I was going to say keep your ears peeled again but that's probably going to result in a fit of laughter from Rob. But yeah, keep your ears peeled for that little gem at the beginning. What if you've already peeled your ears once? Are you allowed oh, to peel blend. again? Maybe you had to re-peel... Or oh, this sounds horrible. Especially if you are on holiday and you've been sunburned. That's what this now sounds like. <laughs> oh, should we get to it then, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. That's why the commute, by the way, if you're listening on your way to work, that's why the commute is safer. There'll be no peeling ears there. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Oh, well, shall we get to it then? Brilliant conversation here on the way, courtesy of James and his chat with the entertainment journalist, Emma Kelly. Emma Kelly, welcome back to the Euro trip, and for the first time, welcome along to the contest and me. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be able to talk again, just in the off season. I feel like there's not much when nobody really wants to talk about it that like is outside of the fandom um, at this time of year. So it's good to be able to speak to people again about it. Exactly. This is a gentle reminder to some people that Eurovision goes on all year round for, for some of us. Not just for me. <laughs> Uh, Shall we start with the 2022 contest? It seems like two minutes ago, but also about three years ago. Uh, How does it feel for you to look back on 2022? Yeah, kind of the same. It just feels like it was that long ago that it's like this distant memory. And then it's like, no, it was May. Like, it's not that far on from it. But I mean, it's great, I think, looking back on it and seeing sort of the impact it had and positivity that's come out of it, um, particularly with the UK. I can't remember a time that the UK is actually still actively talking about Eurovision (laughs) in the weeks after. I'm not just because of like the hosting situation. I do think that there's a lot of positivity that came out of it. And it feels like a lot of people who maybe wouldn't be that into Eurovision are excited about next year's Eurovision, which I think is great. And I think that the entire contest, it went so well and there were great songs and a lot of people I feel who never really watched it before maybe tuned into it and got a little bit more involved so yeah I think it was a really good year for it. We'll probably chat a bit more about 2023 and the UK as one of our questions for a little bit later on but you'll have to remind us Emma because you were in Turin for a few days this year weren't you? I was um, I was really lucky that I got to go for the second semi-final and the grand final and it's the first time I've actually been in the room for those two things. I've previously gone and been in the press room, which is an entirely different beast. Uh, and, but it was it was fantastic. And I still kind of pinched myself that I was there. And um, like, I haven't actually watched the show on television this year, which I find like I watched the first semi-final and I have wanted to go come back and watch all of it just like, on like iPlayer or something. And I was like, no, do you know what? I'm just going to keep it as that perfect little non-commentated memory <laughs> and just uh, decide um, like how I thought about it. I'm not letting anybody else influence my decisions. But um, yeah, it was amazing. And I think that Trent did an incredible job hosting. I thought the show was amazing. 
um, it does go along a lot quicker when you're in the room, I have to say. Like, I mean, I am, I love your vision, but I will admit that like when you're sitting there uh, four hours later, still waiting for the votes, like you can be like, <laughs> getting a bit tiring now, lads. But when you're there, it's just over in a flash. Um, so yeah, hopefully that won't be the last time I get to go. <laughs> I remember the last time we spoke to each other. I think I'm right in saying it was, was it the day after the second semi-final? It was. And we did chat a little bit about Ireland because I think yeah. most people had come to the opinion that Brooke was a was a surefire fire qualifier. I mean, absolutely robbed. And I think everybody <laughs> really did think that. It's uh, I'm still quite good about that because she is, Brooke is such a nice girl and is really talented. And I think that the song would have done generally quite well in the final. I think that, people were crying out for a lot more bops to kind of like balance out the slower kind of moments in the show. And I think it really would have worked well. And um, But I think she's come out of it really well because she is hearing all of the really good things about her. And um, like, like you said, everybody was like just fairly confident she was going to qualify. And when it didn't, people were very vocal about the fact that she didn't qualify, including myself. And um, and yeah, I think her the legacy of Brooke is still ongoing. I was at a, a Pride party in Dublin a couple of weeks ago there, and one of the drag queens on stage like just did the entire lip sync to all of that's rich. So <laughs> I mean, she I don't think she needed to qualify. She didn't need it. <laughs> she still has a the entire of Ireland behind her. And I am kind of hoping that Ireland has shown that we can send a good song and like an up-to-date song, contemporary kind of song. And even though we didn't qualify, we can do well in terms of like the eyes of uh, the eyes and ears of Eurofans. And maybe that will propel us into next year. And it might, might just get a little bit further. Fingers crossed. All we want is qualification. <laughs> I was going to say, you're not asking for everything. It's just the qualification <laughs> to the final. <laughs> I am asking for the bare minimum. My bar is on the floor at this right <laughs> As long as you're in the top 10 in the semi-final, that's all yeah, we're here exactly. for. Um, from recent history, we're going to cast our minds back a little bit further uh, to your first Eurovision memory. This is sometimes a bit hard to pinpoint. What's it like for you, Emma? Um, I have I was making some little notes earlier about uh, coming on to the podcast, and I have a weird sort of memory of Eurovision in that I have very specific memories for different things. So, like, I my earliest memory isn't actually of the show it's just watching the show with my parents and having ice cream floats that was like every Eurovision <laughs> we would stay at home that Saturday and I'd get to stay up and we'd have like ice cream or coke or whatever and I always remember that um like when I was like seven eight nine so like quite young um, I was born in 1990 so I kind of missed the golden era of Ireland even though I remember it vaguely like as in oh we're good at this but I can never remember those early shows because obviously I was only like three or four. I was um, gonna say so do you remember growing up and sort of being aware of how well Ireland used to do? Yeah I think I kind of because I started watching it properly when I was like say said seven or eight we it was still coming off the back of us being brilliant <laughs> and still doing quite well and uh, so I just took it for granted that Ireland are really good at this. Like, you know, other countries have, we're really good at football. I'm like, yeah, we're really good at Eurovision. Um, <laughs> so I've always kind of remembered that. And then I, the first winner I remember isn't actually from, as, isn't, 
it's not from Eurovision. I remember them. I always remember a specific performance from Dan International on top of the pops. <laughs> and I remember, like, I don't remember the Eurovision. I remember the top of the pops performance, which is very strange. Please welcome Dana International. my first proper memory of like the actual contest that I was like, I'm in on this was 2003. So I was like 13. And I remember just being obsessed with it. And Turkey won that year, um, every way that I can, which is still an absolute bop. And I think that was when I started properly like, oh yeah, this is my thing. Like I really love this show. And uh, so it's all a bit of a jumble, but I always like, it's, sort of like a bit of a thread that goes through my childhood I would say. And what do you remember your your thoughts and feelings being about Eurovision when you start to come to terms with what it's all about because as you say when you when you're seven or eight you I guess you don't really have a a great sense of understanding about what on earth is even going on. I suppose it's hard for some adults to kind of comprehend it at least. <laughs> hard for me to sometimes understand it. Um, yeah I don't know I think I kind of watched it as like oh this is fun this is just people in silly outfits doing songs and countries I've never heard of and blah 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 um, and then I suppose when I started watching it it was still kind of that like I think that era of like Eurovision like from like 2000 to maybe like 2010 it was all very like like very specific sounds for each country like it was all very oh like ethnic kind of like music for certain things and you could expect like belly dancing from like Balkans and correct like this this and this it was all very um kind of a bit paint by numbers like you knew what you were kind of going to get maybe it was almost as if uh Eurovision was trying to figure out what it was within the 2000s wasn't it because obviously it had yeah. gone through quite a few years in the 60s 70s 80s and 90s of kind of really understanding what it was and then it sort of went through this changing period didn't it in the noughties yeah you're definitely right I think it was from like from the 90s when it was like the the Ireland years uh when it was all sort of like songwriters sending their songs and you could sit you could like have someone like Emer Quinn coming in and just doing a song like and singing really really well but then it kind of got to it and it, I think they kind of wanted to throw more bells and whistles at it and yeah maybe didn't really know what they were doing trying to make it maybe into more of a show that people will tune in and be like blown away by the money and the production and everything and have like real real like differences um, and variety and um, I think that it worked in some cases it probably didn't work in others uh, so give us an idea then how did you go from ice cream floats when you were seven years old <laughs> to first remembering about it in 2003 to you first falling in love with the Eurovision Song Contest. Can you pinpoint that moment when you thought the Eurovision Song Contest, that's for me? Um, I can't pinpoint a specific moment in terms of when I started loving it because I always really loved it. I would say, I mean, 2003 was really big for me because um, that year Ireland's entry was Mickey Hart and it was 
we had like a a pop idol-esque kind of competition to find it was called your star and um, so it felt like there's a bit more excitement maybe about it in ireland because you could follow um who was going to be chosen and that was the prize was representing ireland at eurovision so i think maybe that i was like oh this is great and then i mean that same year it was like tattoo and obviously gemini and the no heard around the world and um, but I think then like fast forwarding to when I was like okay I'm going to be really 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 into Eurovision was 2012 and I'd say that's probably the same for a lot of people and I think it was just such a brilliant show um with probably the best winner that's ever come out of it and then also the songs I was like I was kind of looking back over because I was like I know it was 2012 because I remember being like so pro Jedward um going in with lipstick and um, waterlining that year um but it was like aphrodisiac banger <laughs> la la love banger and then like you had party for everyone which was like party for everybody even which is bonkers but it really works as a song i still listen to it <laughs> um and yeah just seeing lorene win and how good a song that was it felt like there was a little bit of a turning point and I kind of thought I was like oh well next year is going to be brilliant so that was when I really kind of committed to it and really got into it I remember then started planning my like my weeks around Eurovision like I'd get to like get to May and I'd be like right okay well this and my birthday's in May as well so I remember one year I was just like well I can't go out because like it's on my birthday. <laughs> um, and I remember having um I made my <laughs> made my uh boyfriend at the time stay in and then we had an argument and I was like, well, I'm not going out. So I just stayed there and watched the entire thing on my own. <laughs> I was really happy about it. Um but yeah, I think 2012 was probably the time when I was like, Do you know what? This is my hobby now. <laughs> so and then from then on, like I haven't missed like a semi-final I haven't missed like a final I think before then if I missed a bit or I had to go to like a party or something like that was kind of like oh it's grand I'll watch it later but from now on it's like no this is it and in recent years then I've got even more and more into it, it kind of just builds every time because I think as well I don't know if it's like the same for you but the longer you watch it and the longer you kind of have um like a bigger back catalogue of songs the more you get into it because you kind of start comparing stuff like oh this country song in comparison to what their song was a few years ago and it's just like the more you learn and the more you know about it the deeper and deeper you get into it yeah, yeah definitely and I think we're on the same page us two because 2012 was sort of my year as well I remember that was the first year that I watched the semi-finals and some of the songs you mentioned there as well you know aphrodisiac la la love Lorene, of course was it just seemed like it was like the start of the summer i seem to remember the weather that week just seemed to be absolutely glorious and it yeah. was kind of like it was almost the official start of summer that eurovision week wasn't it yeah definitely and i think i remember really thinking that jedward were going to do so 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 well and i put a bet on and then i watched it and i was like well Lorene and euphoria was the best song I'd ever heard <laughs> oh well we had no choice like I mean we had no chance really and that's fine we'd never would have won because there was this we've talked a bit about 2003 we talked a bit about 2012 which I think is a perfect time to ask about what your favorite Eurovision year is and it doesn't have to be for a particular reason just what it means to you so what's your favorite Eurovision year 
So I was between two and one of them was 2012 because I already spoke about that. It's 2019 for me because it was the first time I went to Eurovision. And I thought that maybe my sort of um, perception of that year was kind of colored by the fact I was there and I was so excited and this was a dream coming true. And then I just looked back over the songs and it was just such a good year. I just think it was one of the strongest contests as a whole. Um, I think the standard was incredible. There's songs that I, I listen to now and still think they should have won or if and that they went in in any other year, they might have won. I think Hatari is one of the best Eurovision entries ever. I genuinely think it was perfect. I just think that it was so kind of out there in terms of the staging um, and the concept and them as like a collective. But it is a really good song. I mean, Kano, I, I, they were my winners, really. I I loved um, Spirit in the Sky. I really thought they could have done it for Norway. Um, with um, Australia's entry, Zero Gravity, I mean, watching that being wheeled onto the stage, those massive holes, <laughs> they're going to stand, it will stay in my head forever because it was just so funny <laughs> seeing them wheeled on, like in sort of relative silence in the arena. <laughs> Yeah, tell us about that, because of course you were there and, you know, for, for new Eurovision fans, they may just about remember what the staging looked like. Of course, Kate in the middle and then two sort of, well, I was going to call them dancers, but I'm not sure you can class them as dancers. Can dancers, you? acrobats, I don't know. Yeah, all of them atop these really bendy poles. You were there. So just describe how they actually got on a stage. Obviously, when you're watching it at home, you have the performances and then you have the little sort of postcards in between. During that time, they have, what, like 30, 40 seconds to get clear off the stage and get them on, which is bananas to watch anyway. But then you have <laughs> these three Australians being wheeled onto stage, wheeled on like a giant pallet, basically, um, being wheeled on on these three nine-foot poles, which do not look stable. And Kate, they're just waving to everybody and everyone's sort of starting to cheer when they're getting wheeled out but it just looks so unglamorous. And then you actually see the, when the performance starts and then the earth kind of appears behind her, like in this really cool projection. And then the concept makes sense. Without that, the concept does not make sense. It's just three women on some bendy poles, like on a stage <laughs> for no reason. I think for most people, their first in-person Eurovision is always a, a bit of a special one of them. My first one was 2018 and that always sort of holds a special place in my heart because I got to, I got to see the songs live, I got to go to the Eurovision Village, I just got to do everything. And it's the same for a lot of fans, you, you'll be the same, that whenever you think about Eurovision, that's the year that comes to mind. Exactly, like I just think that it's a different, just a different beast kind of being there. I think that all... Eurovision fans, if they can, should go to it. Even if they don't have tickets to the show, going to the Euro Village, it's just so much fun. And just being around like sort of like-minded people who are as obsessed with it as you is so great. Like that year I met um, two guys, uh, two English guys um, at a, a bar. I was going around doing interviews for my job at the time. And I went to one of the bars where the 
like the English kind of fans were gathering just to ask them about um, the song and I met them and then I've gone on to meet them like this year when I went over and it's really nice just kind of building that sort of community and um, and yeah it just will always kind of be special to me the same way that 2022 will be special to me because I was there hopefully 2023 and <laughs> um, yeah, yeah no it'll always I'll just have great memories of that year let's move on from favorite year to favorite song which again I feel like it's such a horrible question to ask because for me at least it would probably change on a daily basis maybe an hourly basis <laughs> have you been able to narrow it down I mean yes I ha- like I have a few um I mean I think the best song is Euphoria I think it's absolutely brilliant song like I already said um it's never got old like I mean it's 10 years old now and you're just like if you put that on the club still gonna go off like it's it's brilliant and um, but I was trying to trying to be less obvious because obviously everyone's favorite song is Euphoria. <laughs> um, uh, the other one that came to mind is Fuego. just love it I I don't know like I remember watching it and um, for 2018 and Toy was like the favorite and I liked Toy but by the end of that I was screaming at the television I'm like Cyprus has to win and they, she didn't but I do think she's kind of emerged as a bit of a winner like Eleni is like this Eurovision queen now like everyone loves her I think that like in the same way as Euphoria, it's something that's very commercial. And when you play it at like pride, it goes off. (laughs) And I just think it was a real moment. And one of those songs that like, even though it didn't win, it's still up there in people's lists. Like when they do sort of of the rundowns on like the BBC of like the songs people have voted for as their favorites, it's always there. And it's weird for people to remember a non-winning song as well as people remember uh, Fuego. Uh, so I think that's definitely up there for me. Then, I mean, I have, I mean, Hatari, I'm a big fan of Verka. <laughs> <laughs> I just, if I'm feeling a bit down, I just knock on a dancing national to buy and have a, have a party on the bus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that, yeah, for, for me, it'd be probably Fuego. Um, I think maybe I have a lot of recency bias as well because there's a lot of like older songs that I love but when I was asked that question it kind of just went to the ones that I usually have on a repeat and yeah she's up there. It was so interesting in 2018 because I don't know if you remember hearing Fuego for the first time I certainly do and I remember thinking you know this is good this is all right and it wasn't really on anybody's radar until the rehearsals week was it? Yeah because I remember going into and everyone was like oh Israel are gonna win this is like the song it's like this like it was always at the top of like the book it's favorites or whatever and then yeah the rehearsals came and everyone was like who is this girl with so much hair like five weaves on her head um like so sexy so like such a holiday bop and yeah but between like the semi-final and the final she just became like this sort of sensation and I think it's actually really impressive to get to second place with no real momentum behind you except for that week because as we've kind of seen in the last couple of years, 
the artists that are at the top of the bookies favorites around March, they're usually going to win or they're going to be top three. Um, but I think 2018 was quite different because she, yeah, she wasn't really making a mark until like the week of, which I like because it kind of opened it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think with, with 2018, particularly because I was not a fan of uh, the 2017 winner, I think I was just in need of a bop. <laughs> and she delivered, she delivered in spades. And yeah, since then, Cyprus have always been one of my little baby countries. You not only have like the few countries that you root for no matter what, like minor like Iceland, Norway and Cyprus now. So she really did good good things for relations in Cyprus, I think. <laughs> you expect big things from countries like that now when they came so close and then oh. just year after year, you're thinking, come on, it's going to be this year. It's going to be this year. Surely and at I some think, point it's Cyprus. Yeah, I think it's like the same with Iceland now as well because like after Hatari, I was like, oh, amazing. And then obviously daddy, bless him, could have done it in 2020, didn't have the chance got so close then in 2021 as well um and like Norway I just thought Kano would have been great if they got to re-enter um obviously they didn't but yeah I think Cyprus they have to do it at some point surely like they're just they keep sending great songs it doesn't seem to be just clicking right but uh I mean I wasn't mad on their song this year but the last three years then I was like okay just keep sending the girl I was with the bops and <laughs> you'll get it at some point a Cyprus win and then a, a, a Eurovision hosted in Cyprus that would be a great summer holiday that's uh, that's the big thing this is what we're thinking like after that year I was just like oh well they have to go because I really want to go somewhere nice you know I want a bit of sun <laughs> so let's go for again I'm going to introduce these as all difficult really difficult questions most memorable eurovision moment can you try and narrow that down to something i'm not going to guide you i'm just going to let you sort of go wild what sort of springs to mind the one that really jumped to mind when i read it was love love peace peace because i remember i was at a eurovision party um with people who didn't really care for eurovision which is the worst way to watch a eurovision contest um it was in a club in London and people were not, I'd invited friends, but they couldn't get there till later. So I was sitting there and people kept trying to talk to me during certain things. I was like, no. Um, but then people went to the bar and then I got to watch Love, Love, Peace, Peace. And I just think it is firstly an amazing song, but secondly, I just thought it was such a brilliantly self-aware skit about, Yes, we know Eurovision can be all of these things, but that's why we love it. And and I just think it was it was so self-aware. It was so funny. It was so well done. It was just so loving towards Eurovision, even though you could probably, if you didn't really know it that well, you could probably see it as maybe a bit starky. I just don't think it was. I think it was just a bit of a love letter to Eurovision. And I just thought it was spot on. I mean, I'm a Petra Mede super fan I just think <laughs> she should host every contest no matter where it is and um, but yeah I just thought it was brilliant um, and the other one that really jumped to mind was um, Conchita winning um, in 2014 just because I think I think maybe I had underestimated um, the humanity of people <laughs> I thought of Eurovision as a very safe space um, 
And when I started seeing the horrible coverage Conchita was getting from, obviously not everybody, but from certain countries, I was just appalled. And then for them to win was just such a moment. And I really, like, I know it's like just a song contest or whatever, um, but I just thought, like with Ukraine winning this year, it was just such a sort of show of solidarity. And I mean, it was the best song. And Conchita, I think, was the best performer of the year, like fully deserved to win on that merit alone. But I think it was such a brilliant moment. And when she had her little speech at the end and was like, like, we are unstoppable. I just thought that's a very nice thing for young queer people to see, I think. This night is dedicated to everyone who believes in a future of peace and freedom. You know who you are. We are unity and we are unstoppable. Eurovision has become like in some ways it's become more like progressive and in other ways like maybe it hasn't any kind of here things each year that there's certain like I mean with certain performances people going against them for different reasons but I think with Conchita she had to put up with probably the most crap and then came out of it an absolute hero um, and I really loved that year. Yeah, with Conchita, it's interesting because we were talking about Fuego before and that was one of the songs going into the contest that didn't necessarily seem to be a big favourite. I, I think I'm right in remembering Conchita didn't seem to be a big favourite going in. It just shows the power of, of people who vote that they can get behind something and not just because they want to give Conchita a vote, but the jury's got behind her as well because it was such a powerful performance. I think that's what like people tend to forget. Um, like with Ukraine this year, people were like, oh, they got like sympathy votes, whatever. They didn't though, because they did well with the juries as well. And juries do, are not sympathetic. <laughs> they are not voting with their hearts. Um, and yeah, Conchita did so well with the juries. That's like, that was, it was a sort of melding of two things, how good the song was and their performance of the song. And then the sort of human aspect of it where, people wanted Conchita to be a Eurovision winner, I'd say, um, and thought that they stood they stood for a lot of values that we would like Eurovision to stand for, I think. Um, and I mean, still now, like, I mean, if you ask the average person, like, of Eurovision winners in the last, like, 10 years, they're probably going to remember Conchita more than most. Um, and I'm happy that that's all for good reasons. Um, I think they are brilliant and I got to meet them once before and it was I was just like so starstruck <laughs> like oh you've got so to beautiful. tell us more about that I'm not I'm not going to let you get away without telling us a bit more about that what was that like to meet to meet Conchita strangely it was um at a thing for like the 
Vienna's tourist board <laughs> and I was invited and then I saw Conchita was performing and I was like hey, yeah <laughs> send me there um, and got to meet them and I just was like such a fangirl and just basically was like I love you like you're incredible and so lovely just so classy and so warm and um I had to ask her just a few questions for work and stuff and it was very um like you can see that they're just a nice good warm person and also like their music since is so good like and sort of like reinventing themselves constantly which I absolutely love so yeah I think they're just um it was a really good moment for Eurovision um so that always will kind of stick out as like one of the nicer moments I would say Oh, wonderful. What a, what a story to tell that you met Conchita. That's fantastic. Um, let's go to a question that, well, interestingly, all the questions that we're asking people this year are all the same that we did on last year's series of The Contest of Me, apart from this next one, because last year, the question went something along the lines of, what should the UK do to change its fortunes? Well, <laughs> the UK doesn't need to change its fortunes anymore, but there will naturally be a question in some people's minds of, how the UK can keep up the momentum following Sam Ryder's result this year. What are your ideas? I think the main difference this year is that there's positivity from the public. Um, and I think that's what needs to be kept up because like we've discussed this before, just prior to the last couple of months, the UK public has not been kind to Eurovision um, and just believes that because of Brexit or whatever, they're going to do badly when now we've proved like politically the UK is still not very popular Sam <laughs> Ryder came second so I mean surely that's proof that that theory is uh wrong and um, I think basically the momentum needs to keep up I think uh, the positivity has to stay there and people need to get behind the artists as soon as they're announced or when whatever process is announced, whether that's going to be somebody picked like Sam was, or if there's going to be a sort of more public vote, um, like making your mind up or anything like that. I think it's just the public support because there are people, now people who always love Eurovision, who are always very good to Eurovision, people like Scott Mills, Rylan, um, but they were really bigging up Sam. And I think that kind of made the difference because people were playing him. People were like playing the song. I think radio stations need to get behind the song and not just Radio 1, I think, and Radio 2. I think people really need to get behind the song because as we see with other countries, like people get behind that song and really like give the momentum to it. So then other countries start taking notice. If it's popping up in like the Spotify streaming charts, people are going to listen to it more. And then when it comes to Eurovision, they're like, oh, I heard this song before I liked it. They might throw it a vote. Whereas if you're going in completely like with a song that's getting no airplay, um, no real support, why are you going to vote for it? And um, so, yeah, I think basically the positivity that is there now needs to carry on until next May. And I know that's hard for a lot of people, but um, I think as well, like people need to not forget about the pride that they felt when Sam came seconds. Um, because it was such a good thing. And I'm so happy for him because he seems like the nicest lad. And it was a brilliant song, really good performance. I'm so happy for him that he's gotten to do like the Jubilee and like singing like the national anthem at like Silverstone and stuff like that. I just thought it was so, it's so great to show that 
Eurovision isn't a death sentence for a career. It can make your career. So people just need to remember that and just, yeah, support the song and stop blaming phantom theories for <laughs> things not doing that well. And also not be disappointed if the song doesn't come second next year. Like, I think that's the other thing that not just the UK, but a lot of people think is if it didn't come in the top five, then it was a failure. That's completely wrong. Like, I mean, some songs just don't hit it on a night and it's fine. But if it's made it to the Saturday night, like that's something to be proud of enough. I know the UK will always make it to the Saturday night, but you shouldn't be have to aim for the stars, really. Like you should be happy with a mid mid table finished I think that's uh that's good enough <laughs> yeah I think what we've seen at least from Sam is that he's a good quality performer he had a great song and that can do things for your career you know he was big on TikTok already he'd already had a, an EP out but I guess it wasn't doing much but then once that Eurovision performance come along he's gone absolutely stratospheric since then he's selling out like venues like concerts that he had already had in the thing they just sold out no one could get a ticket and yeah I just I think he's a perfect sort of representative as like if you are you put your all into something and you're positive about it and you really embrace the situation which Sam definitely did people are going to respond well to that and people need to go whoever the next representative is needs to go in embrace your vision and all that means and don't think you're better than it essentially I think a lot of people have gone in thinking they're better than it or come out of it saying oh well I was better than that like um and yeah I think that Sam is if anything is going to get people into Eurovision supporting Eurovision again from the UK it's gonna be Sam Ryder isn't it (laughs) exactly well uh, it won't be long it well it won't feel like long until next year when we find out what it's going to be like uh but Emma shall we wrap up with one final question which is where you sort of get to become the the boss of the Eurovision Song Contest for a little moment the one change you'd like to see most at the contest what would it be a free pass for Ireland to the final. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not joking about that at all, but my other thing is like, and I know this won't happen, but I just, I, I would rather just see the big five whole concepts eliminated. I think that, I mean, this year kind of threw a spanner in the works because, I mean, Spain did so well, the UK did so well, France did, didn't do as well as expected, but everyone else kind of did reasonably well. I think if we removed sort of free past the final the big five countries are just put in a bit more efforts because I mean this year was different but in previous years not every year for every country but they have been kind of sending songs that maybe aren't up to it because they're like oh we're in the final anyway and it's so good when they show up like we see in Italy like for Maniskin incredible Italy this year were great I liked France's song I don't know why it didn't do better Germany's been having a few dodge years but I feel like there's so many countries that put their all into it and just do not get through to the semi-final get through the semi-finals to the final and I think sometimes the big five can coast a little bit so I'd like an even playing field for everybody <laughs> no matter how much you contribute to the EBU and um, I think it make it a bit more exciting because I think people would really be fighting to be there because I think as well like with the UK that like there's a lot of dismissiveness towards Eurovision, but if they didn't make it through to the final, I feel like that would be 
like that's too more to find to handle. So it actually put in a lot more effort. And um, so, yeah, I'd like it to be a bit more of an even playing field. I think I personally really like the voting system as it is at the minute. I think, I don't think you should take away juries. I think that you need a bit of that balance, even though like, I mean, if I had been down to the public, my beloved Kano would have won. (laughs) 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 But I think you do need the balance. So yeah, I'd keep those, those aspects. And I think the new sort the format where of of the way they announce the votes now, I think it brings a bit more excitement to things. I think it's great for a viewer. So I do like that, but yeah, I think I just like a little bit more even even playing fields and, if I can't have that, then add Ireland into the big six. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, give Ireland a better chance of getting to the exactly, final. That's what yes. we're saying. Yeah, I wonder how different the final would have looked this year then if the big five had to go through a semi-final. Because I reckon you probably would have had a good chance of Ireland squeaking through then. Possibly, yeah. I, I don't think Germany would have made it. I don't think uh, France might not have made it. Um, and yeah, I think some... In a couple of the recent years, I think four out of five might not have made it. Like some of them just are really forgettable. And I think, yeah, the quality and the sort of performance of the song should be the reason that you're getting through. Um, And yeah, and if that benefits Ireland, well, I mean, what can I say? I'm just here for fairness. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's definitely one to think about. I'm sure, do you know what? I, I reckon there's definitely some people who are saying, yeah, Emma, I totally agree. Emma, thanks for taking us on a bit of a Eurovision journey through through your years. It's been great to speak to you again. Thank you so much for joining us again here on the Eurotrip. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Eurotrip. It's a cliche, isn't it? But I could listen to an Irish voice forever. <laughs> Is this going to be a cue for the long-awaited return of Terry Wogan? <laughs> no, it's not, honestly. I've not warmed him up. I've not warmed him up. He's, he's hibernating over the summer. And maybe he'll return, uh, I don't know, closer to Christmas. I feel like that'd be a festive treat for everybody. Yeah, a little Christmas gift. Uh, but yeah, it was great to have Emma Kelly back on the podcast, wasn't it? Loads and loads of great stories from her. And ice cream float, Rob, have you had one? You said before you haven't. Do you want to try one? I do want to try one. And as we've already covered off, I am on the continent of North America right now. <laughs> so if there's anywhere to try it, it may well be here. Um, no, I've not tried one. I'm confused about the whole floating element of it and how you how you eat it actually like it's not a spoon thing is it you must drink it i don't know you should have asked i should have done i should have done a deep dive into into ice cream float um but no can i tell you about one of my favorite parts of that conversation is when emma was telling us about when she met conchita of course the winner of eurovision back in 2014 because i know There'll be a lot of people listening who have met Eurovision artists before, whether they've gone to a pre-party. I know London is one of those events where you get to uh, hang out with the artists when they're coming in in and out of the the venue. I know I've done that before as well. And it's always great to bump into and have a chat with a Eurovision artist because on the most part, they are all so friendly and so welcoming, aren't they? They are. This is when I always bring the conversation back to when I met Darude at the London Eurovision party in 2019 <laughs> and he got confused and ended up taking a photo of me and him on his own phone, I still which is find no that good to me. <laughs> it's no good to me. I still don't know where that photo is. If it's still on his phone, 
I like to think it is. I would have loved it if he'd gone back home to some family and friends after the trip to London and one of them said, oh, can I have a flick through the photos you've got? <laughs> and they go, who's this guy? And he goes, I've absolutely no idea. I like to think that he got me confused with one of the other contestants. He was like, oh, he's representing uh, Iceland that year. He, def- he definitely wasn't because that was Hatari that year, wasn't it? <laughs> I definitely don't look like someone that was in Hatari. Were however, you the guy with the mask? <laughs> yeah. However, bringing it back to that conversation with Emma, as we know, Hatari, one of her favourite Eurovision acts ever. Yeah, until she mentioned Hatari, somehow they'd sort of slipped out of my entire Eurovision memory and she brought them up and I almost screamed because I totally forgot about their existence. Not for bad reasons, just because it's one of those where if you don't hear the song for a while, it just sort of slips out. But yeah, remember them. I'd love to see them come back to the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm going to go off on a tangent here, so please save me, Rob. I certainly will. I will save you simply by saying, Emma Kelly... Thank you for joining us on The Contest and Me. It was brilliant to have you on. And we will be back, of course, with another chat here on The Contest and Me next week. We will indeed. So in the meantime, don't forget, you can keep in touch with us on social media. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. And make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.